Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. Today we have the Corker Co's newest facilitator, leader of sweat and purpose, powerful conversations, none other than Gian Publico. It's such an honor to have G join the crew. We fell in love with G for being a man who liked to move. We fell in love with something so much greater when we knew that G loved to move people in conversation and about their thoughts of how they see the world and how they see each other, and perhaps most importantly, how they see themselves. It is a true treat to have him come on board. And we thought that there may be no better way to introduce such a legend than have him on the pod. I hope you enjoy this conversation. There were so many mic drop moments that really hit my heart. The first few you'll hear right away. He speaks about how every moment is so precious and the power of waves never dying. And he also riffs on what it's like to close down, to shut one chapter of life and move on to others. And how he has chosen to show up through these changes, I think says all we need to hear. I hope you enjoy this one. Welcome to the cast, G. I'm so pumped to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I just need to let you know that there are certain people that evoke a smile, that evoke sunshine to simply be in their presence. And you are one of those people. Thank you. Wow. That's a good thing to hear. Gosh, I mean, sunshine. Likewise, likewise. I feel like we've been like a parallel line in the community, you know? Yeah. I think this is our, our longest conversation together, but I've always seen you, of course, know your impact in the community. And it's so good to actually be in a one-on-one conversation with you, Steph, the legend. Gosh, well, I mean, you are the legend. And what I want to say is who you were back in the day, which feels, you know, we're going to date the journey that was the district for you yes. and that mm-hmm. community space and who you've been in the area of Deep Cove. So for people that aren't familiar with Vancouver, Deep Cove is like the best kept secret <laughs> community. Uh, yeah. On everyone. <laughs> Here we go. And I feel like you were the mayor and have continued to be such a legend there. And so, I mean, maybe before we get geographical, can we go yeah. back to anatomical? I want to hear about your heart. Can you just <laughs> introduce us as you? Tell us who you are. Tell us who I am. Okay. I am Gian Ed. Sebastian Pablico, and I say my name because it's important to me. As you probably see on many Zoom calls, my name is phonetically spelled because that's a big part of my identity. That's first off, my mother named me that, so I acknowledge her. But also, I want people to pronounce it right because that, for some people, it's just their name, but to me, it's a representation of where I'm from, my identity, my ancestors, my experience. And so I start everything with the name. And so how I would explain myself is potentially, you know this, as I took a whole weekend to write my bio, camp counselor for people's purpose, uh, a development barber, because I love barbershop, but I love how different people can get into really rich conversations at barbershops that they wouldn't at work or in a family dinner table. 
And then I'm also, you know, a kid at heart. I say I work with young people and I'm inspired by young people, but that goes for age, but also just that youth life in every single person. So that's who I am. I love that. And I need to honor that not everybody honors their name as you honor your name and not everyone cares that their name is pronounced correctly, that they honor where their name has come from. Can you shed some light for us there? Where did that become important for you? It's always been important to me. Um, Of course, moving to Canada at a really early age when I was seven, the teacher, I knew exactly when my name was up on the attendance right? Because the teacher pauses and looks up and, you know, I know they're thinking, how do I pronounce this name? And so that's my experience, which seems very small, but it gives you a little clues on like where people are at in terms of, you know, their understanding of different cultures. And so part of that small but profound experience was the beginning of me hiding my identity or or changing who I was Mm -hmm. to the point where I was actually in high school, where I just asked the teachers to say, actually, my name is Ed. I just told them my name is Ed which is partly true. That is part of my first name. And I don't use that regularly. That's my government name. I just made it easier for that person. Mm. And then it wasn't until I graduated high school and started to get into like more of the work that I'm in now, I I realized that was a really small but profound moment where I started to, you know, make it easier or make myself less authentic in the eyes of other people just to make them more comfortable. So it's Mm. a profound moment looking back into it now. And that's why in this moment, I make it a point to let people know how to pronounce my name because there's somebody else out there that actually might want to hear that as well. And it's not just names, it's pronouns. It's the land that we're living in. All is connected in that space. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I want to let that land. And if you're listening to this, I want you to remember what it's like when you're on the other side of receiving that because what I heard you just say is you wanted to make everyone else feel more comfortable in my name. And it's often a conversation when it comes to pronouns or even Mm -hmm. sexual identity, assuming someone has a heteronormative relationship and we forget the emotional cost it takes across all forms of correction and how all forms of correction are not about the person being corrected. It's about honoring the person that's making a request. And you just have done so, so beautifully. Can I ask where you came yeah. for the first seven years? Where, where were you the first seven years of your life? I was in Manila. I was in the Philippines. So I moved here when I was seven years old with my family, joined family members to Canada and, and then resided in, in Richmond, Houston area. Wow. Part of BC. Yeah. So that's where most of my childhood was spent in the flatlands of Richmond. The flatlands of Richmond. <laughs> Okay, yeah. we're getting to geography again. I just need to come back that we're recording this on Zoom on video and you have two beautiful sleeves of tattoos. And yeah. I'm wondering what the ink signifies for you. And it's normally a question I wouldn't ask yet. It's too beautiful to not comment on. So can you tell me about some ink that you have going on? Yeah, thank you for asking. And and often I do wear the sleeve of shirt on, on purpose, right? Especially for big presentations, um, not necessarily just for me, but for someone out there that needs to see it. So these tattoos come actually from, there's a long lineage of this tattoo. There's a woman named uh, Wang Odd, who is the original and last tattooist from a village in the Philippines, essentially untouched by colonization Mm. of the Spanish colonization. So they were the tattooed people and they weren't touched because it was too hard to get to that village of people. And so the culture of tattooing was preserved, then was passed on to the person that I go and get a tattoo from who was 
blessed to be able to tattoo me because they got the blessing. And so he's passed on the ritual of the tattoos to myself. So every year I sit down, I chat with him about my life and then he adds more. And essentially they are my values reflected into my skin, right? And it's things that I've been up to, not so like story-like, but values like unity, family, trust. Can't see it, but there's a there's lots. There's a symbol of a warrior, which obviously sounds cool for myself, but it's not necessarily like a combative warrior, but it's a symbol of like the warrior that they send first to check out things, what's happening, to assess the land and see what's happening. And, and he gave me that as a moniker to just have because he kind of sensed the uh, leadership inside me, right? But he didn't tell me until afterwards. Wow. They're I not just... often revealed until later on. Yeah, I just got goosebumps because what a beautiful experience, what a beautiful piece of art to wear yeah. and heritage and lineage to carry on yeah. to add to a piece yeah. of art in that way is so special. So that is beautiful. First of all, thank you. Magic, <laughs> your heart and your skin and your soul. And we're going to go from the flatlands of Richmond across a few bridges we're going to get to the bottom of a mountain it's called Mount Seymour and the land of Deep Cove. Who are the First Nations? What is the territory? Salvatore. Oh, it is. Okay. I was like, yeah. there's still such great presence there. And I was like, is there? Mm-hmm. A- no, it's still in that same region. I mean, I'm going to go on a limb and be like, you are the second mayor of Deep Cove. <laughs> My sweet friend, Megan, who I feel like you must know of room six. So I think she was the first mayor. And, and I think you're the yeah. second mayor. And only out of age. But I want to know how you injected yourself into that community and between the district and the other, I know that you're involved in more. And can you tell me what that both transition was like and in your heart behind it? Yeah. Ooh, all these, all these dots connecting. So absolutely know Megan really well. She is officially the mayor. She's actually a council member as well at North Van. So that's official, official. But I inserted myself in North Vancouver specifically in kind of the area where I live in is actually uh, Tsleil-Waututh land. It's First Nations lease land. So a big part of my community is like living in this land and respecting it. My kids go to a school that is the school for all the kids that are closest to us, but also the First Nations school where the First Nations students also go to. So there's a lot of like rich language and wisdom learned coinciding with the curriculum, right? They both sing the Canadian national anthem, but before that they sing the Coastalist national anthem. Wow. Right? So which yeah. I've never experienced where I'm coming from in the world. So that's the lens I even see Deep Cove in, right? Because Deep yeah. Cove itself is a pocket that yeah. is somewhat affluent, but also demographically speaking, like didn't always have people that look like me living there because it, it had that affluency. And that's reflected in, you know, the market, the coffee shops, the places that you would go to get donuts. And so I started to insert myself because I owned a yoga studio with Ali Maz uh, called The District that was close to Deep Cove, but not necessarily in Deep Cove. And we wanted to make a point to connect with the community. So if you're going to come to this yoga studio and spend your hard-earned, valuable money, we want to exchange the favor by also supporting local businesses. And that's where I met Megan, Room 6, and all the things that she's up to. And I'm still connected with her really closely because now her store has shifted into a community space called Part Of, which I am a part of. I'm a board member. And she is like reimagining what a community space could look like in terms of how do you give back to the community while also staying connected to the land and the people within that retail heavy community coffee area, 
touristy area. Gosh, yes. Yeah. So I'm inspired by her. You know, in the four years I would go to her store every Friday to get flowers. And it's not about the flowers. It's about having, being in community and, you know, consuming in in a positive way what she's offering, which is more than just flowers. And then continuing to feed each other in terms of not only energy, but value. I couldn't agree more. I just love it. I mean, if you haven't been to Deep Cove, it is a special place to go for donuts. I don't know that you can get fresh flowers there anymore now that the space has changed and you might not be able to find parking. That's all real. (laughs) Yeah. Come when it's raining, not on a Sunday. That's like when the real community, not real, but just when a different community is there, you might get a fresh perspective, but not fresh flowers anymore. So it's a different offering now. Totally. Totally. Tell me what you learned about opening a yoga space in an area where there wasn't a yoga space with a partner that was Ali Maz. I mean, talk about it being a true legend. The two of you together were truly yeah. unstoppable. What was that experience like for you? Hard to capture in a few words, but I would say our last few kind of events, the whole theme was every moment is precious. And it will never happen again. And that is the lesson we learned, but also the lesson we wanted to leave the community mm-hmm. after five years is that this is so amazing and it, it's never going to happen again. And it's not to be sad about it, but like when we have that in front of us, we know that we can live or just consume this moment even more. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not going to last because nothing lasts. So when it turns of yoga, it's the impermanence, it's the waves do go back into the ocean and they come back in. And that's why also we love a lot of sweaters that we have in the last few days was called waves don't die. They just go back into the ocean and come back and something else comes to shore. You know, the district is no longer here as a brick and mortar, but what we're up to, the waves are continuing to come back to shore and show up in the world. Waves don't die. You closed that studio. It was a very emotional experience, I think, yeah. for everyone. And your wave certainly didn't die. And you went on from there. And what was next for you? And what was the experience like transitioning to what was next for you? Oh, yeah, it, it was hard not to get stuck in the nostalgia, I would say. Like the nostalgia was amazing and it continues to be reminders in the community and, and in people. But I think it was it was hard to transition because similar to even opening the studio, I still had remnants of another part of my life. And it wasn't until I fully let go and jump two foot in where I could actually like enjoy where I was at. So in terms of the district, because I was trying to hang on to it in certain ways in like teaching classes, teaching fitness, I wasn't able to kind of just grow into that next space of my life, which is more into personal development, right? Like when I understood what the studio, the yoga fitness studio was about truly, it actually gave me this realization that it's actually not even about yoga. It's not even about fitness. It's not even about the studio. Like there's no transition because I've been doing it the whole time. Mm. It's just a new space. It's a new era. Mm. So it was hard to realize that it's hard to let go and not be pulled by the nostalgia But Mm -hmm. once I started to lean into the notion of like, every moment is precious, and it will never happen again, Mm -hmm. it gave me the space to transition and celebrate, but also transition. 
Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And it's the perfect place to jump off from because I think right now, even more than ever, there's a nostalgia of what was life like pre-pandemic and who was I then? I mean, we've all changed undeniably in the last two years. We are always changing. And we were in a, I like to think of it like a Petri dish of change where things grew and it might have been mold and it might have been our hearts, but gosh, darn it. Like as human beings, we were in a Petri dish of transformation in the last two years. And on the other side, you know, BC's just announced no masks, BC's released vaccine cards. And it, I think is giving people, I'm going to say hope in quotation marks, because I don't know that everyone is stoked about that. So let's honor that as well. Yet on the, you know, the dawn of what could be next nostalgia. I mean, I feel nostalgic about how fast I could run two years ago. And I was like, what happened? (laughs) And I want to know the like tips, the tricks, the heartbeats, the messaging from G that we need to know about letting go of this honoring nostalgia. And how do we let go to really live and believe that waves don't die? Yeah. Whew. That's a good question. Yeah, I've been thinking about nostalgia a lot and just really honoring it for what it is and not letting it detract from the current moment, which is really hard, especially in both studio ownership, being an entrepreneur, right? Get stuck in like, oh, now I work for a corporate in quotations job as opposed to entrepreneurship. But I'm like, well, I'm still an entrepreneur within my job. And then owning a studio, like there's ego attached to it, of course. But I think in terms of how we've been for the last couple of years, which is probably two years ago today, around the same week, we can't go back, right? It's that simple. I would question and I would be very curious with people that are close to me that would want to go back because we've learned so much. Mm. We've learned so much in how we move as a community. We've learned so much on disrupting our own bias and our own algorithms that if somebody wanted to truly, truly just go back to 2019, February, I'd have a really important conversation with that person, right? Because that would be me understanding, like, you know, they didn't take the learnings of what we learned in the past couple of years. I refer to it as in fitness terms, which is I'm going to go into this analogy is time under tension. Mm. And so when I work out, the last workout I did before the world shut down, was a squat workout with no weights, but this person in Dallas, Texas made a squat for 20 seconds, as slow as you can, and then hold it at the bottom and then explode up, like go up as fast as you can. And the lessons learned in that pre-pandemic was like, when you're going that slow, it reveals the deficiencies Mm. in your movement, Mm. right? Because when we move too fast, Mm. we don't actually see those deficiencies. And so that really stuck with me, especially as the world closed, because I'm like, now we're time under tension. Mm. We're with family, we're with work, we're at home, we're revealing the things I didn't work on, which I wouldn't have paid attention to if I was squatting too fast or if I was moving too fast. Mm. So my relationship with my kids, my partner, nostalgia, my culture, I was moving too fast. And I wasn't able to see where if I actually slowed down, there needed to be some more fine tuning Mm. in my squatting, AKA living. Mm, Yes. (laughs) I mean, if you squat with heavy weights, you know how hard this is yet. I love that you just shared that you were squatting with no weight because that is actually the most beautiful metaphor for life. 
that we are mm-hmm. not squatting with weight and yet we put weight on. And no matter if you have weight or don't have weight on your squat or metaphorical squat, it's hard. It's so hard. It's hard. And yeah. our dear friend, Cecily Elmas always tells me, I like to do hard things. And you know, when we started working together, I was like, Cess, this isn't going to work. Everything mm-hmm. can't be so hard. And she said, no, that's a good thing. Like we're doing the right thing if we're doing the hard thing. And she helped offer a whole new perspective that hard is the right thing. Hard is the thing to be doing. And gosh, I'm grateful for her and her lessons and her wisdom. And I want people to hear that we can be grateful for the squat without weight. Yeah, absolutely. Going down. Such a sad thing to say. Ugh. So good. Right. <laughs> and then when we and then we add weight, right? We add weight to our lives because we're more prepared, right? Instead of trying to take on too much. Yeah. And wondering why we are sore, why why we are hurting in places in our lives. Yes. Right? There's a close kind of connection to to movement and life, in my opinion. But that's the lesson that I've learned: is slow down, focus on what you've been speeding through yeah. and fix that first yeah. and then hopefully it builds the overall durability later on absolutely absolutely before we go I do want to go down this tentacle a little bit that yeah. is less fitness even though we know we can count on you for movement mm-hmm. and more the conversation with ourselves about slowing down and the work that is personal development for you and how you made the conscious choice that that was the exit off of the highway of life that you needed to go next. Great question. Yes. Ah, the exit. I love that. The decision was pretty early. Facilitation in general for me is where I reach my flow state when there is the curriculum, there is all the things that we want to say. But often I say like, when I don't get to everything that I need to say, it's a sign that things are working because there's so much conversation. There's so much dynamic things happening. But I would say it started really early from the moment that I graduated high school. I started facilitating in a lot of workshops in all over all the high schools in Vancouver. And so that's where I started to craft like how I would say something, because in my opinion, for me specifically, I would walk into these classrooms, for example, 30 groups of 15 year old boys that wouldn't care anything about what I was about to say. It was so nerve wracking and daunting, and I had to find a way to connect with these young people. And yes, I was closer in age, but the tools that I learned in engagement and how to like facilitate still holds weight today. I'm not saying that the people that I work with are young people, but it's to me, what I learned is the person that doesn't want to be in that room, the person that I almost actually want to kick out because they're disrupting too much is the person that I want there the most Mm because they're the ones that need this the most. I know that because that was me, right? I was a person not listening. I was a person cracking jokes. I was the person often in the hallway because I was speaking too much, not necessarily in a disrespectful way, but I needed my voice to be heard disrupting situations. And so I had to like find my own skill in order to make sure that I was still engaging that person, right? Especially as it relates to masculinity or anti-oppression work. I actually want the person that is going to skip because the topic is racism, anti-racism. I want you the most, Mm. right? So to me, instead of resistance is futile, I lean into resistance is fertile. 
mm. right? There's opportunities when that person is resisting. And that's where I get really fired up in those conversations. Whatever the topic is, it's when people don't want to talk about it. Perhaps this is the moment that we should talk about it. <sighs> Gee, you're really yeah. my heart. So <laughs> I just want to echo back that what I heard is you have chosen to show up in life today, be it for younger people and older people to be the person that you needed when you were mm-hmm. younger yeah. and to be the voice, to be the leader and to the, be the person that says, stay in the room. Stay we have something room. to talk about stay in the room. We used to say, you know, stay on the field, don't live life in the stand, stay on the field. And that is incredible because I don't know that all of us hold both the playfulness that it is to be a human, to be an adult with the opportunity it is to show up in the world as a human that we once needed. And that is so cool. So I want to honor you. you for choosing so wisely to be all of that. And I have two last questions for you. Yeah. Yeah. One is who was that person for you that kept you on the field or who is that person for you today that keeps you on the field? Ooh. Mm. What a question. How do I answer this question, Steph? I mean, I think for previously, and it, it hasn't changed very much, the person that's got me here that I mentioned to certain people is my ninth grade basketball coach, Ms. Howard, who I thought was just always on me, yeah. uh, was just always pushing me, always making me volunteer somewhere, always you know, making me run extra lines, always trying to make me go earlier than everyone at the practice. And as a 14, 15 year old, that was the most annoying thing to have me feel like someone's on me all the time. And then I learned this idea from, uh, I forgot who it was. I think it was Cory Booker, someone who I look up to in terms of how he says things. He, he calls it the conspiracy of love, right? That there's people, adults, looking back on it now in hindsight, that knew what's happening in your life that kept you in this bubble of love, essentially, because she knew at that moment in time, I wasn't at home. I didn't have the right role models. I didn't have any role models. And so making me go early to practice, giving me volunteer opportunities to work with younger people uh, was her way to keep me out of where else I could be into. But then it propelled me to this trajectory of being really close to young people in my work still Mm -hmm. today. Right. I'm really close to sport. I love sport. I'm wearing a jersey because I both see it as a spectacular feat of athleticism, but also a human development opportunity and company, not company in the company terms, but just the human development platform, sport mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you, you feel the same way. So I think Miss Howard, huge, huge props to her. And, and in this moment in time, I think it's really my community. There's not one person. It's Megan. It's the young boys that are literally behind these walls that are my neighbor, but also walk in my backyard and feel safe to walk into our living rooms and play with my kids. They are neighbors. They are indigenous, first nations, brave, courageous human beings. And then those are also my kids who have that same language and have different passions in life. That's who I am inspired by to lead, be led by them and to lead with them. 
Mm, thank you for taking the time to make these relationships because I can't wait for this next generation to grow up and have yeah. you be their Miss Howard and to know that you're holding so many of them and of the community in a bubble of love that it's safe to come to G. And that is a really <laughs> special thing. That is a really special thing. Thank Thanks for saying that. So we end every podcast with one final question. And this year we're really riffing okay. on goals. We just can't drop it. Riffing. <laughs> I want to know one 2022 goal. It can be as big and hairy and scary. It can be a true WTF goal. What is one thing that your eyes on the prize and your commitment? 2022. 2022. 2022 goal is by the end of 2022, I want to celebrate that I was this is going to sound really weird, but I'll explain <laughs> that I, that I've been in a professional sport locker room, having the opportunity to be in conversation with athletes about who they are on the court field and off the field and off the court. Hmm. And so I coined that and I'm working on it on the side as what's the unlocker room. Hmm instead of the locker room. In my experience of working with young people and athletes, lots, the locker room, locker room talk has been a author, is an author to lots of toxicity in the world. And so I believe there's an opportunity to dismantle that and go into that, the dungeon, mm -hmm. the places where that toxicity perhaps is birthed and shift the conversation and have an unlock, hence the unlocker room. All right. So if I was to goal you on this, yeah. then we would say that me. by 2022, G has unlocked a locker room of a professional sports team. Boom. You, boom. I love that. I'm, we're Thank here you. for the unlock. Unlock <laughs> the goals. Unlock the possibility. Unlock the conversation that hasn't been had because we all need a Miss Howard. And, yeah. you know, one district, one wave at a time, I think is the only way that we all get there. I am so Thank honored you. for your time, for your perspective. And I want you to know that I'm very, very inspired by your goals. And I know that those are much deeper than just 2022. And so please don't stop declaring them and living into them because we need you for those big, sweet, juicy goals beyond 2022. And I'm here for it. Absolutely. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for inviting me. The light is hitting you so well for those that cannot see it because you're hearing the sound, but the Vancouver sunlight, which is scarce, is hitting Steph right now, which is a symbolism of her own light. I want to send gratitude for challenging me in that and hopefully come back in one of these other sessions and let you know how I was able to cross that goal off the list and tell you all about it. So I'm looking forward to that. Yes, we'll book that. Thanks, Thanks. G. Thanks, Steph. <laughs>